Welcome to another Lights Camera Sports Podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Hello everybody, I'm your host Mike Galtieri, so happy to be back once again. And we have a very special guest here today as we'll be talking with the National Recruiting Director for Rivals.com. That's right, Mike Farrell joins us. As many of you may already know, he got his start right on Eagle Action and uh, has progressed all the way up to covering Rivals on a national level. So a lot of good BC talk, uh, a lot of history with him, his career, and what he thinks of this year's team as well. So stick with us on this podcast. I'd like to remind everybody as well, if you're a Boston College football fan, you should be a member of the largest fan club on the Boston College campus, the Boston College Gridiron Club. Go to bcfootballgridiron.com for more details and to sign up. Okay, first we'll hear from uh, Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Lemon Pizza, and then we'll go right into the podcast with Mike Farrell of Rivals.com. As always, thanks so much for listening. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including... State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, and we're lucky enough to be joined here by Mike Farrell, Rivals.com, national writer, recruiting writer. I hope I got that title right. But uh, Mike, thanks so much for the time and joining us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. Hey, no problem. No problem. Pleasure to be here. So Mike goes back a long way. Eagle fans, we all know him. Uh, just, Mike, talk about your history with the school and uh, then lead tying into how you got involved with uh, Eagle Action at Rivals.com. Yeah, I, I actually sent a letter um, in 1997 to Mike Rutstein, who's the owner of the site, uh, telling him that they were missing a particular portion in the magazine. Uh, it was a newspaper back then. It wasn't online. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to look back at the former Boston College players that are having success in the NFL, NHL, NBA. So we started doing that. Then the hockey guy quit. I took over hockey. Football guy quit. I took over football. And then I wanted football recruiting. I took over football recruiting. And then from there, I was writing pretty much 90% of the magazine. We took it online, uh, got into Rivals. Rivals noticed the recruiting stuff, and then I sort of morphed into the Rivals national recruiting guy from there. And what years were we talking about here? Just to um, 97 to probably 2001 was just mostly, um, you know, a Boston College stuff. In 98, they tabbed me as a regional guy at Rivals. Uh, Rivals went out of business in 2001, and then the new reiteration of Rivals in 2002 hired me as a national analyst. So I've been with Rivals for about 20 years. Uh, Eagle Action I've been covering for 21 now. 
And just talk about too. I mentioned you earlier. You said you grew up a huge BC fan and going to games. And your father, I believe, went there as well. Just talk about your association, even going back when you were a kid to yeah. Boston College. When I was ten years old, Flutie started his first game. Um, you know, it was my dad, my uncle, and my cousin were all BC alums. My uncle, especially, and my cousin, uh, not so much my dad, were the ones that really pushed Boston College on me when I was at a young age. So, you know, when Flutie started, nobody knew he was going to be any good. Nobody knew BC was going to be any good. But they were huge BC fans. They used to bring me up to games all the time. Um, Is and the game then it sticks out to you growing up. Well, I was I was pretty young. You know, obviously, I remember. I remember the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, I obviously remember the Miracle in Miami. It, it was mostly 83, 84 that I remember the most. Um, the early games, you know, the Alabama game, I remember a little bit of, um, you know, but it, it was one of those things where I was a football fan, a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I was so young, 10, 11 years old, I didn't really know what I liked. So they kind of told me what I liked. And, you know, they, they just sort of made me a BC fan from a young age. Um, so I always had interest in it from there. And then I became interested, you know, after Flutie left, um, BC still had a little bit of success and then they fell off. I became interested in the recruiting aspect on the basketball and the football side, especially football, and where these guys were coming from and subscribing to all the magazines that come out four times a year, like Blue Chip Illustrated, all that stuff. And that's where I sort of got the recruiting bug. What is it about that recruiting bug that you like? What is it that is this the ebb and flow of it, the process of choosing it? In essence, like what is it that you like about recruiting to, I, to follow? I think it's just who's next. You know, I mean, who's next has been something that's been really important for a long time, but it started to come into the mainstream, you know, when a lot of the NBA you know, high school guys were jumping to the NBA. You, you could see a guy like Kobe Bryant play in high school, and the next thing you know, he's playing in the NBA. LeBron, uh, Garnett. And, and on the football side, they have to wait three years. So obviously, there's a delayed process, so we get them in college for a bit. Um, I became interested in the competition of recruiting, you know, who was uh, holding the edge of the official visits, the ebb and flow of things. It wasn't covered that well back in the mid to late 90s there was 900 numbers you could call um and there were the magazines and that's it uh, so you know i was like this is this is just not mainstream enough and, and there's a niche here that people are missing because i knew a bunch of people that followed it religiously but had to wait for that magazine to come in the mail and with the internet i knew it was just going to explode so I, I got very interested in you know the competition of how you know, uh, BC can land a kid, you know, from a, a Catholic school in Chicago uh, over, you know, offers from Midwestern schools and, and the nuances of the decisions and how academics play into everything and, and all that stuff. So it was kind of interesting. And then talk about, that's a great answer, by the way, but talk about the late 90s, early 2000s, Eagle Action recruiting. Just give us a little bit. What was it like? Take us back there for newer fans who might not know. What were some of the big recruits coming in and uh, success stories that BC had during that early part of the website era? Um, well, it, it was actually it started off pretty poorly because you had the <laughs> you had the uh, the the Dan Henning years and mid nineties, right? yeah, and and obviously um, there was a bit of scandal. So could you see recruiting dip? A little oh bit? yeah, so it, you knew. Yeah, I mean you know it it, it went from Coughlin who was getting some high-level recruits um you know bc was successful uh then it dipped 
you know, when they when they were struggling, and uh, obviously they had a, you know, not a, compared to today's scandals, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. But they had a little bit of a scandal going on, and and Tom O'Brien came in, and he was the guy to write the ship, and and his approach to recruiting was, uh, he was looking for high character guys, and he didn't care what they were ranked. He wanted guys that were going to change the culture of Boston College. Yeah. So at first, recruiting wasn't great. You look he, at that he first. He told th- me on his podcast, on my podcast, that he focused on the Catholic schools east of the Mississippi as well. Yeah, to and, go with that. And his job when they hired him, they said, "Listen, you got to come here. You're, you're, you know, uh, a military guy. You need to change the culture here. We need to be character first. This is Boston College. No shenanigans. Um, we want it done right." So his first couple of recruiting classes weren't that thrilling. There's guys that just weren't that talented, didn't have a ton of other offers, except when he started hitting the Catholic schools. And then he'd fall into a few guys, like Jeremy Trueblood was a guy I remember was being recruited heavily, uh, the offensive lineman played with the Bucks yeah, for a while. Yeah. Uh, Matthias Kiwanuka was his teammate in Indianapolis. Cathedral. Uh, yeah, and nobody wanted him. And they, they saw him sort of discovered him and took him as a throw-in because True Blood was being so heavily recruited Notre Dame and every other, you know, Michigan, all those schools wanted him. They took Kiwanuka, and it was fascinating to me that obviously Kiwanuka had such a great career and, and turned out to be even a better player than True Blood, uh, probably at the college level, certainly, but at the NFL level as well. But prior to that, you had coaches emerging like Mike London and now Golden who were recruiting, you know, Spaziani getting William Green from New Jersey. Anthony DeCosmo was a huge recruit, yeah. didn't really pan out. Um, they really started hitting New Jersey as well. I think when they started getting those guys, Augie Hoffman's another one who's now a coach at St. Joe's in New Jersey, but um, he was a big-time recruit. Started getting those guys in, I think, right around 2000, 1999. That's when recruiting started to change for Boston College, when you started to see them successful and winning eight, nine games a year under O'Brien. And then from there, you started seeing a higher level and caliber of recruit coming in from around the nation. So when there would be big visit weekends, and I'd be on the sideline, uh, and we'd be shooting photos of the recruits and stuff, there would be four stars. You know, high three stars. Um, obviously, Brian Toll was a five. So, we're t- just to give our fans that we're talking early two thousands right now. Yeah, two thousand two, three. Yeah, but consistently yeah. throughout that yeah. that time period. Um, you know, Brian Toll was oh four. It was like, it it was consistent. I remember they even had. You know, I think they were going to get Ryan Paralu on a visit, who was the quarterback yes. uh, who committed to Texas and uh, flipped to LSU at the very end. And they got Cushing on campus. So they were getting like high-level four- and five-star kids, but also a lot of high-level three-star kids consistently every year um, to visit. Now, visits don't mean commitments. They lost out on some guys, obviously, but um, the recruiting was at a consistent level where it was probably in the 25 to 30 range every year. Yes. And one year, I think they finished in the top 25, which was Toll's year. Um, but he was also handpicking guys that fit his system, his his uh, character requirements, the the work ethic. So he'd get guys like you know Ricky Brown, who wasn't recruited by everybody in the world, uh, was a three-star kid, turned out to be a very good player. Obviously played in the NFL. Guys he knew that would go above and beyond and be better players in his system. So I think O'Brien out of everybody you know Coughlin did a good job of that as well but O'Brien was the best recruiter Um, and then you went into the Jags years after O'Brien left and recruiting was so scattered 
they just were recruiting all over the country. I mean, there's no, there's no plan. Like East the Catholic, East the. No, 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 no. It was just, it was. I mean, one class I took 33. I think 16 of them uh, flamed out, and, and that really sets you back. Um, there was no plan. There was no structure. They were going after kids, um, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't as organized as you want it to be. Mike Sarava was the recruiting coordinator. He did a very good job. Jag's approach was so helter-skelter that he would fall in love with one kid one week and then drop him the next, and everybody was like, what's going on? So recruiting became even more interesting to follow, but the quality of kids coming through was less. Um, and, and what about talent, though, as well? Well, it's talent was less, too. I mean, you had some overachievers, um, you know, some guys that, that played better than their ranking. Uh, you know, I think Milano yeah. is a guy, is a good example of that. But the talent started to, to drop off consistently from the kids that were interested in Boston College and interested in visiting. Spaz took over. Spaz was 99% game preparation and film, 1% recruiting. Yeah, so recruiting fell off the table. Well, why do you think that at was? That point. I think he was just such a – he was a very anxious guy as a head coach. It was his first head coaching opportunity. He wanted to get it right. Um, he had been at Boston College for a very long time. He was a good recruiter because he's the guy who got William Green and some other of those guys. But I think he was just so focused on game preparation that recruiting just fell off the table. And when recruiting fell off the table – he started seeing BC beating out teams like UNH and you know Fordham and Villanova rather than Penn State and Maryland and some of the teams they need to beat locally. And they weren't getting as many kids from the Catholic schools. Um, they weren't having as much success in Florida as they had. And that's where you started to see the roster talent fall off. When the roster talent fell off, the wins started to fall off. And then the wheels fell off the program. Adazio comes in has a different approach. He wants guys similar to O'Brien, wants tough guys, physical guys, guys that fit his system, but his system is mainly run-oriented. Uh, you had Donnie Brown on the defense who could take anybody who was good and, and make him better. Yeah. Um, so they, Is Adazio more involved recruiting, in your opinion, as well? More than Spaz, more than Jags, yes. Um, O'Brien had Jerry Peter Kusky as his recruiting coordinator for years and years and years. Peter Kusky knew everything about everybody. So Tom O'Brien didn't need to get as involved, but Tom O'Brien was very good in living rooms at the end of the process. Jags was a bit of a disaster in living rooms at the end of the process. Spaz uh, wasn't a great closer at the end of the process. He was sort of a jokester, and you know, but he didn't really know the kids that well. He didn't pay enough attention to recruiting. Adazio pays attention. You know, I was talking to a friend too. You know, when you look at BC. Recruiting, not only that, but the the division that BC's in within their conference, playing Clemson, playing Florida State, playing Louisville, you're going against some uh, monster recruits on the other in, in the division. So those are the battles you have to fight as well, game to game. Yeah, and I think there was a there was an approach that they had under the Spaz years that they wouldn't put in the effort till the very end on a kid, like if. Let's say you had a kid in Virginia that liked you. You were one of his first offers. Once Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida State offered, they just sort of backed off. Um, that was never the case under O'Brien. But again, O'Brien was specifically targeting geographical locations as well as you know the Catholic schools. Um, 
I think, you know, Harold Landry is a great example of a kid in North Carolina that they offered early, they got to commit early, then did every, a great job. everybody came in on him, but they had him committed, so they, they, they stuck with it. Had Landry not been committed and all those offers came in, I'm not sure if BC would have stuck in there with him or put as much effort into that. And when you stop doing that um, and you sort of, as fans say, settle for guys that you like at summer camp, you know, who are overachievers or maybe sleepers, uh, that may be great. I mean, there's some two-stars. Jamie Sobel was a two-star. Turned out to be a great football player at Boston yeah, College. Nobody even noticed him in Rhode Island. Um, but when you when you get more of those guys in your roster, you're less apt to have success. So when you look at the O'Brien years and the Coughlin years, you had more three- and four-stars on your roster. You had more depth. You had more competition in practice. Um, and then when you see the drop-off to Jags and Spaz and, and now with Adazio, you you have to concern yourself with are these guys pushing each other to get better is there enough talent to make everybody better and can they compete at the upper echelon when they entered the ACC you remember two ACC championship games yeah and they were beating Florida State yep, and and out muscling Florida State they beat Clemson in that overtime game you know and Clemson didn't know what hit them that was BC but it wasn't just we're bigger stronger we're going to run it down your throat it was talent yeah you know and that was five years prior in the recruiting classes. Right, and and that's the old that's freeze. the the entire basis of your success can be tied to recruiting in many instances. Now, the Boise states of the world who who are successful without great recruiting classes, or you know West Virginia who doesn't have a great recruiting territory, uh, those are the exceptions. But by rule, the programs that finish in the top five, top ten every year in recruiting. They're the ones competing for the national championships and conference championships. So let's look ahead now in the situation we have. If you're the recruiting co- coordinator at BC, Mike Farrell, huh. what's the first thing you do, first couple of days, first couple of steps to get BC going, uh, recruiting as, as, like you like it to see it? I'd quit because it's the worst job on earth. <laughs> I, I would never want it. It's really a difficult job. Um, you know, is it the worst job at BC or just any school? No, any school. It's, any just, school. it's yeah. tough. I mean, recruiting 17-year-old kids nowadays as opposed to a decade ago is so much harder than it was. Um, everybody is upping the level of interest, and they're telling every kid what they want to hear. And if you don't pay enough attention to them, if they get a text message from six schools one day and you don't text them one day, you could be dropped off their list. If you don't send <laughs> some great edit you know some some great graphical edit to their twitter when five other schools do you could be dropped off their list <clears throat> they can commit to you and then decommit we've already had in this class two kids that have committed to three different schools we're in september they'll probably end up committing to five different schools these two guys um <clears throat> it's a different world now it's much much harder to recruit because it takes so much more effort um and at boston college you're selling more than football you're selling you know, academics, you're selling, uh, in some cases, you're selling uh, the religious aspect of things, you're selling, uh, you know, the small school aspect, you're selling the campus. So how to turn it around? I don't really know. I think, because I'm not qualified to do that. I don't recruit kids. I I cover recruiting. So I kind of know what works and what doesn't work. I do know that if you brought in a guy who is known for recruiting, he could he could be successful here. Al Golden would be a name, right? But I don't know if Al Golden would be a good enough coach 
to yeah. take the success that he has in recruiting and translate it onto the field. Because at Miami, he recruited pretty well with a lot of sanctions against them and a lot of hurdles to go through. <clears throat> but they were just not a successful football team. So what you got to do is you got to find a guy who knows how to balance it, who's a good X and O's coach, and who's also a good recruiter, who, who can put together a young staff, uh, you know, that's very aggressive, knows how to relate to these kids that are 16, 17 years old. Now you're recruiting eighth graders, freshmen, how, how to fix it at Boston College when you're in a city where, you know, the Patriots and Red Sox are 99% of the conversation. Um, it's, it's very difficult. I think you have to go back to the Catholic schools. I think you have to go back to the Tom O'Brien approach of things. I think you have to go back into New Jersey where you've had previous success. I think you have to spot recruit well in Florida as they have over the years uh, and really focus on those areas. Jags got into Texas, stay out of Texas. You just, it's too far away. Kids may or may not pan out. Um, California, they tried to get into California didn't work out either. Stick with O'Brien's plan. See if you can make it work in 2017. That's what I would do. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! A special recruit that you had that you saw in the late 90s, uh, 2000s, when you were covering BC, that really turned around the program, you thought, uh, and a good story that he came to BC with? Well, you know, I think, obviously, you know, you look at the only five-star they got was Brian Toll, and, and had he not had the injuries, I think he would have been just one of the best players to play here. You know, his freshman year, he was the Big East, you know, defensive rookie of the year, and... Um, you know, he got injured his sophomore year, and then he got re-injured two years later. You know, B.J. Raji comes to mind yep. because he was so unknown. Like, we discovered B.J. Raji's film after we had finished our rankings. He had a great senior year, but he didn't have anything prior to that that was substantial as far as very good film. From New Jersey, right? From New, Jersey. New Jersey. And this was the VHS tape days, so yeah. this wasn't like where we could see him at a, a billion camps or yeah. just hop on huddle and watch his film. I remember his film came to me in, in late January, and B.C. Rutgers and I, I think Syracuse were, were fighting for him. And uh, I popped in the tape, and I'm like, wow, this is a 320-pound defensive tackle who can move. He's got light feet. We had him as a two-star. It was too late to change that ranking. We were done ranking that wow. cycle. We were two, two weeks away from signing day. Um, and there's a kid that nobody wanted. Three schools ended up fighting for him. BC wins, and they team him with Ron Brace, and they have the best defensive tackle yeah. tandem in the entire country. Goes on to become a first-round draft pick. 
you know, some mini legend in Green Bay, uh, and now he's retired. That's how old I am. But, but Matt Ryan's the one I get asked about the most. You know, he ran a wing tee offense in high school. He came here and threw for Dana Bible. Dana Bible was a great quarterback developer and a great evaluator of quarterback talent. Um, Dana made him throw every throw possible and he had to be pinpoint with it to earn that scholarship offer. And Matt didn't have a ton of offers. He also didn't have a ton of experience throwing the ball, you know, in the wing tee. They were just, you know, running it a lot. Um, he made every throw. He was pinpoint. He got the offer, decided to commit. Sean Singletary was a receiver on his high school team, played at UVA basketball. Which is funny because they had so much athleticism and, and talent on that team. I mean, you've got the NFL MVP on your team and you're running a wing tee back in high school. <laughs> you see stuff like this all the time. Yeah. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Time charter. Um, but, yeah, when he, when he got the offer, took his visit, and committed, you know, I was like, well, we'll see. He was great at his summer camp workout. I was there for that. Um, we'll see. You know, I didn't see anything that said, oh, this kid's going to be special and change everything. Uh, when I knew he was going to be special and change everything was the Clemson game when he got absolutely yeah. destroyed yeah. and hit in the sternum harder than anybody I've ever seen get hit. Yeah. Popped right up. And uh, I'm like, okay, this kid's a gamer. And he does not back down from anything. And then the rest is history because that was a real fun time. Yeah, no question about it. Okay, let's let's look around the ACC. You talk about recruiting classes, they, how it affects three, four years down the road. We're looking right now in the ACC, who's bringing in the best recruiting classes? Who are the teams we're going to see three years from now with the Clemsons, the Florida States? Are they still there, or is another team going to merge in the ACC conference? No, it's the big three. It's, it's, it's Clemson and Florida State, and, and now Miami. Miami will emerge because Mark Richt is recruiting at a high, high level, like higher than Al Golden, higher than Randy Shannon, higher. You know, back in the Butch Davis days, he's recruiting to that level. Um, Clemson's recruiting at, a, at the highest level they've ever recruited at. They got the number one player in the country in Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be the next great quarterback in, in college football. Um, they're set for a very, very long time. <clears throat> Florida State's always recruited well. Uh, they just ran into a little bit of a problem where Bobby Bowden wouldn't change, uh, and he was hiring his buddies. You know, he had his son, uh, and, and then he had Chuck Amato on defense. The defense was horrendous. Um, he just wouldn't change. He, he, so they had to make a change. They had to push him out and bring in Jimbo Fisher, who will make changes, obviously. Uh, they've always had talent, but now they've got coaching you know, that, that can take them to the next level. Losing DeAndre Francois this year hurts. James Blackman, the, the freshman quarterback, is a talented kid. I worry they might get killed. He's about 180 pounds soaking wet, and he's a true freshman. Um, Clemson's breaking in a new quarterback. Miami, I think if they don't win their division this year, they'll win it next year. And I think you'll see Miami probably within the next two to three years uh, win the ACC and, and go to the playoff. But it's those three, and then it's just a huge drop-off after that. Louisville, no? No. They, they do well in Florida. You know, Charlie Strong set a really good footprint there, and, and Bobby Petrino can recruit the Southeast. You know, they sort of fell into Lamar Jackson. They have too many holes in their roster. And they can't recruit. They don't have a good enough base. Kentucky is not going to build a roster for you. You have to go into Ohio. Well, who's in Ohio? You know, Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh and everybody else in the world. Um, you got to go down in the southeast. Who's there? Everybody. So for them to recruit at a high enough level, I don't think they're going to be able to break through. You know, Lamar Jackson is the Michael Vick, you know, to Louisville that he was to, to Virginia Tech where they can make a run. 
but you're not going to find that guy every year. And what about your take to the ACC, the middle part of the ACC, the Dukes, UNC, Wakes, uh, and, uh, North Carolina? That what should we expect as BC fans from them in the next couple of years in terms of recruiting? Duke had some success like a couple of years ago. Uh, seemed like they've fallen back a little bit. Uh, other teams wake. They're all uh, kind of in the middle of the mix there. Yeah, I mean they've got a great state for for talent. You know, um, there's four teams in the state of North Carolina. Uh, it was known as a basketball school, but a, a decade ago that changed. But everybody comes in there and raids them. I mean, Clemson comes into North Carolina, just steals kids. South Carolina comes in, steals kids. Um, you know, Virginia Tech goes down, North Carolina steals kids. Now Florida State is is stealing kids from North Carolina. And then you've got, of course, you know, uh, Alabama and LSU and all those other programs that are in there. Unless you have sustained success, um, you're not going to be able to keep those kids home. North Carolina's considered the sleeping giant of the ACC. You know, they've got academics, although, you know, <laughs> academics is very relative when you're talking about football players. Um, but overall, I think, you know, North Carolina is the one that has the best shot. But I think Larry Fedora will be poached. I think, um, you know, Texas A&M is going to fire Kevin Sumlin. They're going to pie in the sky, go after Chip Kelly and some other big-name guys. But Fedora's got Texas roots, and he would be a great hire for them. If they don't steal him, there was talk that, you know, LSU was going to hire him last year if they didn't go on Orgeron. So LSU might hire him in a couple of years. I just don't think they can keep a coach long enough at North Carolina because it's still considered a basketball school to break through. The other ones recruit on a similar level to BC. You're going to have a year every once in a while uh, where you're going to break through. Wake Forest was in, what, two oh, ACC or yeah. one ACC championship two game? Years. Yeah, you're going to break through every once in a while, but you're not going to be able to consistently you know, win nine or ten games at, at those programs. So from listening to you talk, the team is Miami, who the future uh, the, the ACC surprise, surprise people. people and then kind of have a little bit of success the next couple of years. Yeah, because they're also in, they're in a division that doesn't include Clemson and Florida State. Yeah. If they were in that division, and that's why you mentioned Louisville, you know, Louisville is in the division with Clemson and Florida State. That's going to be tough. But that's they're in BC's division, too. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and yeah, that's, a, that's, you know, the SEC West is considered by many to be the best. I think the Big Ten East is the best. Uh, then you've got, <laughs> then you've got Boston College being stuck in a division with, you know, Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, NC State, which is also a talented football team. It's going to be really hard to break through there. You remember when they did break through, Clemson was Clemsoning, yep. and Florida State was awful. Bobby Bowden's last year. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime in the future unless Jimbo gets stolen away by LSU. Uh, you know, like he did almost a year ago. But then they'll just pop in another coach there and continue to recruit. It's just yeah. an unfair landscape. I mean, BC is recruiting New England kids, Catholic schools, Midwest, uh, spot recruiting Florida. Clemson and Florida State are recruiting, you know, just absolute studs in Georgia and South Carolina and Florida. It's just yeah. not fair. Last question here. Nationally, I always find this interesting. How do you, just to give us a quick, I know it's a long, it's going to be a long answer, but how do you give ratings to recruits? five-star versus four-star versus three-star. What are you looking for? Just what goes into the detailed breakdown process of assigning a star rating to a player? Well, the five-stars, we, we do about 30 to 35 a year, and we want them to be potential first-round NFL draft picks. That's not always the way because, <clears throat> you know, last year we had Lamont Wade as a five-star who's a freshman at Penn State who's five foot ten. Will he be a first-rounder at 5'10"? Vernon Hargraves was. Maybe he will. But, <clears throat> you know, everybody wants that 6'1 corner. So it's not always that. We want them to be All-Americans. 
Um, so the five-star guys are just the elite. And the advantage that I have is in doing this for 20 years is that I can compare them to guys in 1999. I can compare them to guys in 2005. I can compare them to – so Trevor Lawrence, who's our number one player in the country, I can compare him to every number one quarterback over the last 20 years and sort of see where he fits in. You know, is he – better than Josh Rosen at the same stage. It, you know, you can't compare him to Terrell Pryor and Vince Young, but is he better than uh, Matt Barkley or guys like that? Um, the four-star guys, you know, we have about 300 of them. We want those guys to be all-conference first team. We want them to be honorable mention All-Americans. Some of them will be All-Americans. Quan Barkley was ranked 117 in the country, which is good, uh, but he's, you know, a Heisman Trophy candidate and the best running back in football. Um, Ezekiel Elliott was ranked in the 80s, and he got drafted in top four. So we want those guys, uh, you know, to be that level um, of talent. Three stars, there's over a thousand of them. Yeah. That's where you're going to see the majority of your college football players, the majority of your NFL football players. Those guys are a crapshoot. We put them high, and then we put them low in the middle. So we have three tiers of three stars, and we're just sort of winging it at that point. We don't feel that they're four stars. We don't feel that their future, you know, first team all-conference are all-Americans. We're not there yet on their evaluation. Some of them are, are you know, very rough around the edges, and we don't know what they're going to be. Um, some of them we feel have peaked, and they're going to just stay where they are and be good college football players, but not great. And then the two stars are the guys we just don't know a lot about. Um, you know, we haven't had a chance to scout them that well, um, or we haven't seen them in person as much as we want to. Uh, they're not on a lot of radars. And those guys can break through. J.J. Watt was a two-star. Antonio Brown was a two-star. Le'Veon Bell was a two-star. These were guys that no schools really wanted. Russell Wilson was a two-star. Uh, for whatever reason, Le'Veon Bell was 240 pounds, kind of chubby in high school. Uh, Russell Wilson was five nine and a half in high school. Nobody wanted a quarterback who was five nine and a half, except for um, you know NC State. Dana and, Bible. And, well, it was it was prior to Dana Bible. Actually, um, he inherited him, but uh, it was Chuck Amato and his staff said okay but they were going to move him from day one they said we'll take you as a quarterback but in their minds they were going to move him to wide receiver and then he was good enough and he just stayed there and then became a star um antonio brown was a quarterback five foot ten quarterback in high school nobody projected that he'd be the best wide receiver in the nfl so there's jj watt was a tight end playing the complete wrong position so there's so many stories like that that are interesting to me and we own it when we miss it um, you know, but the two stars we usually just don't know enough about to get right. So that's what we're looking for. But it's a much longer answer than that. It's it's constant meetings. It's constant film evaluation. It's it's constant travel around to games and camps, and it's a crapshoot. You're just guessing. Last question, bringing back to BC. What do you say to our, our, the posters who support the Eagle Action website? With some positive energy, we could say to them uh, who are dying for a winning BC football program. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is BC football with the Smash Mouth power running game was successful, um, but there was a pro style offense, and you could play a lot of play action misdirection off of it. Uh, I think BC is a physical enough football team to overpower some programs. I think what they have to get back to is a quarterback who's not just a dual threat guy who runs more than he throws. They're going to have to develop a quarterback that can throw the ball. That's when they were most successful. Uh, if they can find one, and I don't think there's one on the roster right now, <clears throat> if they start to recruit those guys, with what they've got in place, <clears throat> you know, the defense is solid. Losing Don Brown was 
that's tougher than losing anybody. I mean, did he want to leave, or was it just money? I, I don't know the true answer to that. I know he wanted an opportunity on a bigger stage, and Michigan is the biggest stage yeah, that yeah. you can get right now with Harbaugh. The reason um, I ask it because he was the number one defense here at BC, so he was already yeah, cruising pretty good. But. Number one BC defense at BC is a nice little story that gets mentioned every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Number one defense at Michigan is the lead story every week. Yeah. Um, so I think I think. You know, I'm assuming Don Brown wants to get back to be a head coach. And everybody says, well, he's too old for that. No way. This guy would be a great head coach. This guy would be a guy that, you know, let's say they decide to make a move on Adazio in a year or two. You look at Don Brown. You bring him here and build around the defense. But the offense, I think, is the big issue of Boston College and has been. They need to throw the ball and, and find somebody who could throw the ball consistently. Um, so I really don't have hope for Boston College fans in that area. Uh, but I think if they do get back to that, I love Smash Mouth. It works in the ACC, uh, especially against a lot of finesse teams. But you got to be able to throw the football to win in college football. And if you can't, you're dead. Last question. Do you have a favorite poster on the board? Anyone sticks that over the years for you on uh, the message boards? Jeez. <laughs> You know, I haven't been on there as much lately, you know, but most of my focus has been on the national stuff for rivals. So, you know, the legend of Section T or whatever, he's up there. Um, we used to have Eagle Wings, who used to hate me and still does. And I don't know, he kind of disappeared. Um, Big Pete, I remember Big Pete. I don't know if you remember Big Pete. Those guys I remember. Z-Man. Z-Man, yeah, those guys were all like years ago. Now I, I don't really know. Um, I'm not on there enough to really have a favorite one. They want me to come back there, you know, but then they yell at me for moving on when I do come back there. And I'm like, I can't make a living you know, doing Eagle Action. I, just, I can't. i got to feed my family. So, you know, what do you want from me? <laughs> well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us here. It was great. We could talk about for hours with recruiting. I really appreciate it. All right, no and good luck on the national scene as well. All right. Thank you. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. At Stone Love and Pizza, their mission is simple, to offer the most creative selection of hand-tossed, all-natural pizza in the Neapolitan tradition. Their pizzas are cooked in a stone-fired brick oven directly on the stone to lock in the flavor. Stone Love and Pizza uses all-natural products. In other words, their dough, sauce, and cheese contain no additives, preservatives, or weird chemicals of any kind. Come visit one of Stone Lovin's three locations, including the newest location at 1649 Beacon Street in Newton. Go Eagles! Well, thanks so much to Mike Farrell for joining us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'd like to remind everybody, if you want to join Chestnut Hill Technologies and Stone Lemon Pizza by advertising on this podcast, it's a great way to reach the BC community. Just email Lights camera sports ads at gmail.com that's lights camera sports ads ads at gmail.com also want to remind everybody if you're a boston college football fan you should be a member of the largest fan club on the boston college campus the boston college gridiron club just go to bcfootballgridiron.com for more details and to sign up so this is mike galtieri thank you so much for listening to another lights camera sports podcast Have a great week, everybody.